0: I'll see you in the morning.
1: I'll see you in hell.
0: This is the 13 Days of X-Men. Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men Monkey off my backlog's second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host Sam and with me is the Lockheed Tmayayana Tessa. Hello. Joining us for the sad trombone ending of the Fox X-Men franchise is friend of the pod, Melissa. Hello.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me. I am a happy trombone, so I think we'll balance it out. It'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Sad trombone and happy trombone together, that's discordant, just like this movie. (laughs) Last year, (laughs) last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies, and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we raised the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. Today, we're talking about The New Mutants, which is such a disaster for Fox that it's not even a Fox movie because by the time it finally saw the light of day, 21st Century Fox didn't exist anymore. But before we talk about disasters, Melissa, what are you looking forward to this holiday season? This seems like such an ironic and sad question. I'm sorry.
2: Oh, no, you're fine. Um, Okay, so I have a lot of things that I would like to do this holiday season that I might find myself a little bit too COVID anxious to do. So now I'm going to say a really dark answer, which is I'm mostly looking forward for the holiday season to just be over so I can just be in my house and not think about this anymore. (laughs) Like...
1: I mean, that's a completely fair <laughs> point. Not everybody is ready for the holiday season. You can see there is a giant but mostly naked tree behind me that we have not gotten to decorating because we've just been too busy slash sad to do it. so totally get that. But if you were slightly happier during this holiday season, like are there any holiday movies or like traditions like pop culture traditions that you come back to every year?
2: um not really, but I spend the holidays at my parents' house and we have always listened to the same Christmas albums and we have never added any. So I go home and I listen to Christmas music like two days out of the entire year only. And it is all the stuff that I've been listening to for nearly 30 years so think like michael buble christmas harry connick jr christmas elvis christmas leon redbone christmas um dolly parton and willie nelson christmas all of this very classic and good stuff and no mariah carey if you like it that's great it just you know it wasn't out by the time we made this list
1: Uh, I see. So there's like a date cut off for this list. Like it's, yeah, it has to be before this date. It's I don't know what the date
2: is, but it's the music that my parents already had when I was old enough to remember the Christmas tradition. And it's all CDs. They all have cracked cases. We never shot for new Christmas music. It's just these same like six albums on repeat for two days.
0: <laughs> so does that mean that while technically last Christmas made the cut, it's not part of this?
1: yes sam Sam has real opinions about both mariah carey and wham but we'll just we'll just go past that i love the idea though of like a playlist that's just albums like it's not like a playlist of songs it's a playlist of albums
2: yes and you have to go to the cd player and switch them and you have to sneakily put the one you want to hear next on the top of the pile while nobody watches
1: Oh, I see. So there's some like Christmas shenanigans as well. (laughs) Yes. Strategy. We try to sneak in the Spice
2: Girls very early. My dad likes to, you know, be in his cups a little bit before we get that deep into the playlist. I like it. It's a musical theme tradition.
0: Yeah. We've spent so much time talking about Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've done much Christmas music. Discussion. So
2: I didn't really grow up on Christmas movies. People, when I talk to people around the holidays about their Christmas traditions, they're like, What movie do you watch with your family? I'm like, That is not a thing that we have ever done. I've seen like the stop motion holiday movies for kids, but we don't make a point to watch them like all together.
0: But have you seen The Holiday?
2: Yes. I saw it as an adult, but I have seen it.
0: Yeah, that's apparently the monkey on my backlog holiday movie of all time, I guess.
1: So out of the seven guests on this podcast, I want to say four of them mentioned the holiday. So maybe I should make a point to watch that (laughs) this year.
0: (laughs) By the way, I don't know if you know this, but on the day that this episode is released, it is actually Christmas Day.
1: Happy birthday, Jesus. Yeah. If you subscribe. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. Did you just cheer Jesus on for being born?
0: Well, you know, listen. You don't know what he's been going through. Like it's been several thousand years at this point. Well, not several, but a couple anyway. And um I don't know how many Saturn returns that gets you, but like he be he could be coming out of one, could be going into one, could be knee deep in one mid-age crisis number 72. I don't know what the dude's going through right now. So, like, any trip around the sun is worth celebrating because you don't know what that person's been through. I mean, dude's going through the pandemic just like we are.
2: Yes, I'm sure it is exactly comparable (laughs) experience. Me and Jesus Christ himself.
0: I mean, that's the thing about the transmissibility, right? I mean, like, it just goes anywhere. (laughs) What? <laughs>
1: You're going to move this along. Go oh, on.
0: you want me to move it along? Okay. So let's let's talk about one disaster instead of the one we were just talking about. We'll talk about Fox's The New Mutants. To do this, to have this discussion about this very disorganized movie, what we're going to try to do is talk about it in three parts. We're going to talk about the plot. We're going to talk about the road to this movie actually existing in front of people's eyeballs. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the characters. So to start, in Danny Moonstar's head, there are two wolves, bears, bears. She wakes up in a hospital and somebody who, it's not a hospital. It's like the jankiest, creepiest hospital ever. So we already know what that's happening. Dr. Reyes, who looks totally suspicious, explains why she's here. I guess that's about as much exposition as anybody gets for this movie, so so far so good? Is this, a, is this a good movie in the making?
2: I feel like this comment kind of skips a lot of the plot, if you will. The problem with the plot of this movie is that like, there isn't one until they say like, here's the plot of this movie, and at that moment I'm like, there's a half an hour left, I really don't think you should have had to spell that out for me at this point, point. and also I don't care now. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a bummer. Like, I don't I don't dislike watching this movie, but thinking about this movie is kind of a frustrating experience. Yeah, I just could not believe that I was thinking to myself, like, I should know what's going on here. And then they say it out loud, what's going on. And I just didn't care. I'm like, oh, I have no emotional connection to that. So this is not a good movie (laughs) because it's fun enough while you're watching it until you realize that it's not.
1: It's just scenes of things. Like, it's not a movie. (laughs) I want to talk about this a little bit later. I actually don't think this is a disaster movie. I think that this is the best that they could do with what they were given. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about why that is here in a little bit. But I actually really enjoy watching this movie, even though, as you said, it's more scene work than it is like a cohesive film.
2: Yeah, talking about the plot is like the least fun part of probably discussing this movie will be because it's like, well, plot is a strong word for what we're doing. But scene to scene, (laughs) it's very fun.
0: (laughs) I don't know that there's a better take for the movie than that because the entire plot of the movie is as follows. Dr. Reyes explains to Danny that everyone at this quote-unquote hospital are mutants. They've experienced some sort of tragedy. They hang out. They think they're being trained as X-Men. Hijinks ensue. They are not being trained by Professor X. They are being evaluated by Essex Corporation. And Danny is deemed dangerous, so she must die. And that action leads to the release of Demon Bear. Demon Bear and Reyes are conquered. They walk away at the end. That's it. Whole movie.
1: Again, I I know we're going to talk about the vibes of this movie, which are honestly the most interesting part, but this movie, it's just, it is a very basic plot. Like, they are teenagers in an institution. It is supposed to be a much darker film than any of the X-Men films that we've seen before. Like, all of these kids have killed someone before they were put in this institution. And, but then, yeah, but then it really slows down, and it's just, like, vibes for, like, the middle third of the movie until it's like, oh yeah, we actually have to finish this movie. But I, I guess I should ask you, Melissa, have you seen the other films? What is your familiarity with X-Men as a franchise, as a property?
2: I have not seen another X-Men. This is the only one. I have watched all of Legion, which sort of counts. And I know some things about some X-Men. Like I don't really know any of the plots of the movies, but like I know generally, like Professor X is a person, Magneto's a person. Are they in love? Is he a villain? Or
1: is one of those things true? I mean, you've just summarized yeah. the entire franchise. Good job. <laughs> Professor X is good a person. Job. Magneto is a person. Are they in love? Like, yes, that's the whole it, setup for is, the whole franchise.
2: Yes, this is the vibe I've gotten off of the X-Men fandom. Um, And I know that there is a movie where Jennifer, or maybe two, where Jennifer Lawrence is blue. Yes. Sophie Turner, period. Oh, Deadpool's kind of involved tangentially. Right.
0: Tangentially. That is a very good way to describe that.
2: I think we've hit the limit of the things I know.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I, again, I just wanted to dispense with any plot discussion we might need to have, which was clearly very little.
2: I just want to point out that nowhere in that plot did it include anyone actually trying to prevent Danny from being like labeled a risk killer. Like that was not in the plot at all. Nothing about helping her succeed it's just like let's see how she reacts being thrown in a cage and if it's badly we'll just do away with her
1: (laughs) yeah and i think this is unfortunately a part of this film that relies a little bit too much on like a fan knowledge of the comic books because we're told halfway through this film who the villain is but if you're not invested in the comic books you will not understand who that villain is there's a villain in this movie Yes, there is a villain in this movie, <laughs> so I know, right? I thought it but was there's not. I thought that the villain was maybe like
2: Danny's inability to like confront her own fear <laughs> and that was it.
0: All right. all of these questions and more can actually be answered by talking about the production of this movie i I don't think it's generally i don't think it's a good thing for you to un. In order for you to understand the movie, you have to understand what happened around the production mm-hmm. of the movie. That doesn't seem like good craft to me. I don't know.
2: I think Not you a professional.
0: Do. I mean,
2: <laughs> so,
0: okay. So it all starts with The Fault in Our Stars, as most things do these <gasps> days. West Side Story.
2: <laughs> good movie.
0: Tell me I'm wrong. Yep. So in in 2014, coming off of the Fault in Our Stars, Josh Boone is interested in adapting the New Mutants comics into a movie because they mattered to him for some reason. The next year after that, he goes to our our great beloved person behind the screens, Mr. Kinberg. Uh, yes, no! yes, and Josh Boone. Pitches to to Simon Kimberg the the idea that he has, and so now Kimberg's interested, and he says, uh, "Hey, hey, what if? What if? Hear me out. What if we tried to put this in the X Men universe? Like we're doing this apocalypse movie that's set in the '80s. What if this is set three years after that? So it continues the timeline." Josh Boone's like, "Whatever, dude." And then we move up to 2016, and here's where we can really start talking. Deadpool. Was very, very successful as we've talked about. Deadpool had a new vibe. This was actually how Kinberg and friends talked about it. They said Deadpool was so successful at creating a new vibe, we're going to be okay with other movies that aren't connected to the big franchise that have different kinds of vibes. Josh Boone is stoked about this because that means he can make his young adult horror film. Young adult horror film. That has a different vibe from the flagship part of the series, much like Deadpool. Does this sound like a good movie?
1: I mean, Horror Breakfast Club. Count me in. I'm here for it. Yes. When this movie started, I was like, oh, are we going to do Ginger
2: Snaps?
0: Okay. Pretend I don't know what that reference is.
2: Oh, Ginger Snaps is a movie about um girls going through puberty and, like, really not having a good time trying to fit into their high school. So they're just, like, these insular sisters. And then one of them gets bit by a werewolf and turns into a werewolf and, you know, Ginger Snaps.
0: That Ooh, that sounds very close to what this movie could have been. Yes. Is this a good thing?
2: Well... In the prep phase of this movie, when they were talking about a new vibe, if somebody in the room said Ginger Snaps, that would be a great thing. Is it a good thing for me to compare the movie we saw to the movie Ginger Snaps? No, <laughs> that's not great.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> the other thing that we get out of this, this point in time that is 2016 is so we're going to do a new vibe, we're going to do Horror YA. This is where we start to hear that, that Rain. Uh, also known as Spain, is probably going to be played by Maisie Williams. Of course, that's later confirmed and actually happens, that Anya Taylor-Joy is going to take the job of Ilyana Rasputin, also known as Magic. Of course, that turned out to be true. At this point, Boone had pitched Cannonball, Sunspot, and Danny Moonstar, uh, who is also known as Mirage. I don't think that's really established in the movie, but These I guess it's true. These characters
2: have code names.
0: Yes. Well-
2: Interesting. No,
0: not in the movie.
1: Okay. I, yeah, but in I the could, comics I they
0: do. do.
1: The only code name that's confirmed in the movie is Ileana Rasputin's, because <gasps> yes. I, I can't remember which character it is who says to her- the bear like the bear has magic and she turns around and says the cool line, so do I, or so am I. And that's so that's her code name is Magic. So yeah, she's like, So that's am I. Awesome.
0: The setup for this, where we are initially in 2016, is very similar. At least if you say it out loud. If you watch the movie, you'll see a completely different movie. But this is very much the movie that that Boone wanted to make. Except Professor X and Storm had very prominent roles in the original, what this movie was going to be. So while it was going to exist in kind of a different way than the, than the mothership, you know, X, X-Men 2000 through, at that point, Apocalypse, it was still going to have the Professor X and Storm from Apocalypse. Does that change anything?
1: Was that Boone's idea or was that the studio's idea?
0: I mean, I think you know it was Simon Kinberg, but at this point at this point, I, there is a point where I think Josh Boone departs from any pretense of, of thinking Simon Kinberg is a competent person. I'm not sure that's happened yet here. So I'm it and, and so much of this is apocryphal. Like somebody could make good money with a book on this. I think there's a book link. This thing is such a disaster. It's not long form journalism, it's a book. I would wager at this point, Boone is still on board with putting Professor X and Storm in it, but it couldn't have been his idea.
1: We talked about this a little bit yesterday when we talked about Dark Phoenix. I don't think Professor X should be in any more X-Men films. I actually kind of think that they, for as bad as a film of dark as Dark Phoenix was, they wrapped up that storyline. And unless you're going to say something new about him being an antagonist, which I definitely think he should be an antagonist in the films. From now on, if you're going to do anything with him, then just don't use him. Storm could have been interesting because Aurora Monroe is a very underutilized character in the rest of the franchise. They don't develop her hardly at all, even though they had Halle Berry play her in the original trilogy. She's barely given anything to do. And she's definitely not given very much to do in Dark Phoenix or Apocalypse, which are the other two movies. I... I think that could have been interesting, especially because that character or an alternate version of that character has a lot to do with Ileana Rasputin. I think it could have been interesting to see Storm because she does have a lot to do with Ileana Rasputin in the comics or an alternate version of her has to do with Ileana Rasputin in the comics. But I, I don't know if I need the tie-in. I kind of like just having these characters exist in this like dark little pocket of the of the X-Men universe.
0: So here's the question for you, Melissa? You just heard a lot of things that, I don't know.
2: Were words. They,
0: they probably sound like words. Uh, but, well, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the whole, I'm not going to call it tension, but for lack of a better word, that's the whole tension in this entire 13-day endeavor that we've done is that, you know, the X-Men are something that, that matter a lot to Tessa, and she knows way, 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 way more about it than I do. We've had Lazi on twice. When they start talking about X-Men, I, who know a little bit, start to feel like I imagine you feel now. And so as somebody who hasn't seen any of these movies other than this one, we talk about a potential movie where outside things from the other movies would have been brought in. What does that do for a viewer who's not invested in the X-Men to have a movie in front of them that relies on outside knowledge? What does that do?
2: So uh, It's it's a problem because I have a really great way to answer this question, but I can't yet because it involves spoilers for a huge movie that came out yesterday.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. I would never do that. It came out, well, to be fair, it came out like a week ago but we still haven't seen it.
2: Sure, 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 sure. Um, Okay, so I would never do that. But what I will say about comic book properties in general is that I have never read any comics. When I started watching the MCU even, we were at Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So I started watching those movies and all of the ancillary content I was consuming about those Was exactly what you're just saying, which is people who know so much more about this than I do. And they're just like saying things. And I will admit to sometimes that stuff just goes over my head. But sometimes it sticks like all of this X-Men stuff that I knew and I haven't seen any of these movies at all. So it doesn't it it would bother me, I think, if all of those if all those tie ins made the actual story we were watching feel emotionally disconnected. But if it was just like, oh, here's all this other stuff going on. I I personally for me as a viewer, I think that's fine. I don't hate Age of Ultron, like all of that stuff that's popping up in that movie that either goes places or doesn't go places. That doesn't really bother me at all. That's just like other stuff in the movie. And these movies are always huge, so you need a lot of things to fill them up.
0: I said that something very similar uh, a few episodes back. I don't remember which one, but one of my chief complaints about this series is they somehow manage to overestimate and underestimate the viewer's intelligence at the same time. They They don't provide the right kind, from what I know, of fan service to mm-hmm. the people like Tessa who know a lot. And at the same time, they expect more of, I think, completely uninformed audience people.
2: If we're looking at just the New Mutants, it and like, obviously, we, we are discussing currently that there's a lot of production issues with this movie. So, like, it doesn't have, it's not the highest level of storytelling, which we've already mentioned. And, like, the script is, you know, whatever it is, but... If we're just talking about this movie, the way that you're telling me that there's a villain in this movie that I could have known about if I had prior knowledge, <laughs> I I think I knew that they were talking about Professor X in this movie when they kept saying like my superior, my superior, or I assumed it was and it's really that corporation. But in any case, they're expecting their viewers to have this like deep knowledge of these things so they can mention them and it, those references will do plot work for them. And at the exact same time, they're acting like the movie going audience is full of like people who have a third grade reading comprehension level because they're saying, oh, she's making all the bad things happen to you because of, you know, her superpower that we've never explained. And I'm like, if you would have done any filmmaking in here, you wouldn't have had to say that line. (laughs) So like you obviously either can't make a movie or think that I can't watch a movie, but you also expect me to have retained all of this comics knowledge.
0: I really like references as plot work. That seems to be the thing to to avoid. You can make the references all day long, as long as they're not a stand-in yeah. for plot, or as you said, filmmaking. Melissa, you were not hanging out with us when we did Fast and Furious. Have you seen those?
2: Oh, I've seen them. I love them. I am just... I'm basically trash for those movies because they work so well on me.
0: (laughs) Okay, so two-part question. Part one, could somebody who has not seen movies one through eight go to movie nine and have a positive experience?
2: They could probably have a fun time at the movies, but they could maybe not have like an emotionally connected viewing experience. Like, they might not, like, feel things for what's happening in the plot, but they might be, like, yeah, cool cars. Oh, sorry about the cursing. It's fine. They might be, like, heck, yeah, cool cars, but I care nothing about what these characters are going through. And, like, that's fine because that's what action movies are for.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. So, part two. If somebody had never seen movies one through eight and went to the theater to see Hobbs and Shaw, would they have a good time?
2: Yeah, because I saw Hobbs and Shaw and I hadn't and I had only seen 1 and 2 like 10 years ago. Like I can't remember if I like emotionally cared for the characters, but I did have that other experience where I was in the movie theater like, heck yeah, all the things that everybody is doing. Very cool. Very cool.
0: I feel really bad about saying this because we did not like Hobbs and Shaw, but that's what this movie should have been. It's it's a movie that is Basically connected to a huge franchise, but as mm-hmm. you said, it could be a really good experience, even if you haven't seen those. Mm-hmm. That's that's my point of reference. It's nice to know that you're a, a a fellow Fast and Furious fan.
2: Oh, yeah. When you said that that's what you guys did last year for the holidays, I was yeah. thrilled.
0: Th- those, that was Tessa's first watch through. She yeah, had I never seen any good. of them before. That was me convincing her to watch them. <laughs>
2: Are you ready to drive so many cars?
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Back to the franchise we're talking about today. We're not even out of 2016 in our production hell timeline. Later in 2016, and you can really tell that studio notes are coming in here, Warlock is added. like He's going to be in the movie. Who? And then... And this is where we get start talking about how Demon Bear is the actual antagonist. So that was always part of the plan, and it was gonna be a horror movie. That was always part of the plan. So two out of three, the thing that was always the things that were always part of the plan stayed. We did not see Warlock. 2017 is actually pre-production. Early 2017, we have casting: Professor X out, Rosario Dawson in as Dr. Reyes. Rosario Dawson, out as Dr. Reyes. At this point, if you're keeping count, which why would you be? I haven't mentioned this yet. There are 15 writers on this film. (laughs) And then Simon Kinberg says, Hey, what if it wasn't a horror
2: movie? (laughs) That was like the whole thing.
0: It's the whole thing. So... Well, you'll be pleased to know, July through September of 2017, they actually shot this movie. And as we will find out, they shot the totality of this movie. Melissa, I know you're not surprised to know that most movies have reshoots. Even if they're not trash (laughs) fires, they have pickups, right? You know, we need to do a do-over on this, right? This movie has none of those. Everything in the finished film that is not CGI was shot between July and September of 2017 because Boone was such a fan of Wes Craven. This movie was shot with 90%, according to Boone, practical effects. There was only green screen used about 10% of the time.
2: I cannot wait till you tell me what happened.
0: uh, Okay. So at this point, (laughs) Storm is also out. And surprise, surprise, at this point, Boone is beginning to say he's unhappy. He was a good team player up until it was time to shoot. And apparently he was a very unhappy camper during this entire shoot. Because I don't know if you guys feel this way, but if my dream was being meddled with, I might be upset too. Anyway.
2: It sounds like he, like, hitched his dream to a piece of crap anyway, so. It's true. I don't know what this character did, but you guys don't like him. So now I hate him too. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, King wait, wait. Then. Hold
0: on. Hold on. You got to say the thing. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast, but say the thing.
1: I So Boone is actually, uh, Boone seems like a pers- perfectly good person. The director. No, that other Simon one. Kinberg. Yeah, yeah Simon P- Kinberg, the director. We've talked about him on this podcast before.
0: The producer,
1: I'm sorry. Producer. He produced this one. He... Directed Dark Phoenix, which was the last trash fire um, of a movie that came out of this franchise, and he wrote
0: made after this movie. Made
1: after this movie, it was made after, but released before this movie. Lousy and I actually had a conversation in which I asked him which white man has failed upward more in Hollywood: Simon Kinberg or David Benioff. And oh god, Simon Kinberg won this conversation. (laughs) For some reason, he keeps making terrible movies, and he keeps getting given. More movies. Yeah, we hate to see it.
0: Here's here's an example of how great Kinberg is. I don't know if you remember It Part 1 coming out in 2017. You know, Pennywise and all that. And it did really well at the box office. So, Simon Kinberg says, you know, It was a really good movie. Maybe we should do a horror movie after all. Uh, after the movie's been shot.
2: I, like, you shouldn't... This is not how movies should be made. I feel like no. we kind of no. discussed that talking about how this man just keeps getting given all the things that he wants, but I'm just saying like this is not how <laughs> I preferred that movies are made.
0: Well, you and know, And also I they should have about... waited
2: until after it part two to make that decision.
0: <laughs> I think that is probably the best take. Wait until part two. Wait till they land that plane. Spoiler alert, they don't. I say this a lot about writing. You really shouldn't complain about writing unless you can actually do better. I have felt very good about many projects in the last several years where I can say with full confidence I could have done better. <laughs> I don't. I. You'd like to think that producing a movie is harder when it comes to it because there's so many more moving pieces. I got to say, I feel like I could have done a better job.
2: I would watch your New Mutants so quickly. Opening night, butts in seats.
0: This is great. This is actually how you do it. Tessa, how should we make a New Mutants movie? That's It's called listening to people who know stuff. It's actually, it's it's a soft skill. You don't have to go to college for it or nothing, but man.
2: Well, it doesn't seem to make any money, so in this Hellscape, it's out.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Tessa wants to get to Mr. Sinister. Okay. All right. The movie was originally going to come out in March 2018. So in January of 2018, it's pushed back to 2019 because Deadpool 2 needs the slot. And so that will also allow them to do reshoots in the middle of 2018 and add some new characters. Two months later, in March 2018, the release is pushed again to accommodate Dark Phoenix. What? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You were lying. This is a book. I know. And so (laughs) at this point, at this point, Tessa, because I know you've been waiting for it. So a big plot point of this movie is the fake out. It's not Professor X who's running this institution. It's the Essex Corporation which is run by Tessa?
1: Mr. Sinister! <laughs> Wait. A whole other person?
2: Yeah. Because I thought, I thought that her superior was Professor X, because that's what I know about X-Men. So I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And then when it said, like, SX Corp, I was like, oh, that must be the official, you know, LLC name for Professor <laughs> <laughs> X.
0: <laughs> that's great. That's, well, see, that's the... Right, it's supposed to be a fake out. Like you're supposed to think that it's Professor X and then that Essex Corporation does as you say, plot work. Now it doesn't count if <laughs> yeah, you don't know great. who Essex is. We are actually given we are actually given a a a filmmaking hint. But you have to have seen Logan to get it.
2: Oh good. <laughs>
0: Right. There is an actual reference made to Essex Corporation that involves footage from Logan. So that's going to be your primary reference point. Essex Corporation has been teased maybe twice.
1: Essex Corporation is teased at the end of Days of Future Past when they... It's in the end credit scene when you see somebody taking Logan's DNA They put it into a briefcase that has Essex Corp on it. And we all gasped in the movie theater and we're like, oh, it's going to be Mr. Sinister in the next movie. And then James Mangold, when he was making Logan, was like, I'm not doing Mr. Sinister. Shut up. This is a different company altogether. But then this movie. We'll see
0: about that. Yeah.
1: But then, oh, and then in Deadpool 2, the house that Fire Fist, which is, again, a very, very dumb name. The house that he's, like, being raised in and being tortured by the religious dude, that has Essex Corporation on the front of it. So they keep, they for, like, the last third of this franchise, they keep teasing Mr. Sinister, who is the antagonist of this film, even though he's not in it, for reasons that we'll talk about here in a moment. But they can't, they they just won't actually bring him in and let him be the antagonist. And he's a great antagonist in the comics. Like, it Mm -hmm. makes what you said earlier, Melissa, about, like, why does nobody try to help her control her power? Like, once they figure out that she's the one who's causing all of these nightmares to come to life, etc., etc., like, why does nobody at least try to help her control it before just going straight for the nuclear option, like, death? It's because Mr. Sinister doesn't actually care about any of these people. He's concerned. He's, like, obsessed with Darwinism and eugenics. And what he wants is to create, like, the perfect superhuman that he can control. So he's way more interested in their DNA than he is in them as people. So he sees her as a disposable person. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, her DNA is interesting, but I don't want to have to deal with the headache of her actual powers.
2: And, like, maybe they could have even gotten there without having him as a full character in this movie if they would have been explaining that somebody understood what the heck was going on here. Like, it just, the science lady is just la 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 doing her thing, acting like everything's normal. And the kids are like, hey, there's demons. And everyone's like, eh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to point out that there's a real, like, Sunspot as a character name is definitely, like, Class A. Fire Fist is definitely below that, but I gotta tell you, you know we go from sunspot, which is one which is basically the human torch, kind of and and fire Fist makes fire with his fists, and then that brings us all the way down to gold balls, gold balls. miles Morales's <laughs> roommate and <laughs> there's some really whats foolish his men names he makes gold balls,
2: oh, I thought. I don't have to say it. You know what I thought? (laughs) I did. I did. I did.
0: In in a true case of don't know what you got till it's gone, don't get too excited about the idea of Mr. Sinister because he was never in this movie. In fact, he was never cast. He was going to be, he was going to, as you know, Marvel movies, whether it's Fox or MCU, have a penchant for their post-credit scenes. So part of the deal with the devil, I mean Simon Kinberg, was Boone had to leave room for a post-credit scene where we would actually see Mister Sinister. That would be the payoff.
2: That's also not how movies are supposed to work. Yeah,
0: it's true. And for the second time in this franchise, two movies were having a fight over who could use which character. Mister Sinister does not appear in this movie at all because the makers of Gambit, a Fox X-Men spin off movie probably starring Channing Tatum that never happened, had dibs. So here's what they were going to do instead. When they got around to the reshoots in September, it's not mid anymore, it's September. When we actually do the reshoots, we're going to add Sunspot's dad, played by probably Antonio Banderas, <laughs> which sounds fun is not Brazilian. Right. But I didn't tell you who was going to play Mr. Sinister. Melissa, would you be interested in a Mr. Sinister played by John Hamm? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is allegedly what you were going to have.
2: Well, <laughs> but don't I worry about it. Million. You weren't going to get it. I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. We're going to skip ahead a whole year. Nothing happens. Nothing... Nothing is said about this movie for an entire year, which gets people to thinking, what's up? What's going on? Comes out a full year later in March 2019 that all those reshoots, they haven't happened. But that's okay, because the movie's been pushed to March 2020, which is going to be a really good month and a really good year. And then Disney acquires this movie and Fox in late 20 later 2019. They are not impressed with the cut of this movie that has been provided by Kinberg and friends.
2: I'm shocked that they didn't love the movie. Yeah,
0: but they assure everybody, and by everybody, I mean their shareholders, that work is still happening on this movie and they believe in it. They even accidentally said it's a new entry in the MCU, and we're like, never mind. No, no, we were wrong. In March of 2020, you might have missed this because there were other things happening. It is now revealed that the movie is completely finished. And that's when we find out there never were any reshoots. Josh Boone shot a non-horror movie version of his vision, was told to turn it back into his original vision, but was allowed no reshoots of any kind.
2: That is psychotic.
0: Yes. The only thing that he and his team could do is visual effects. So what you have seen in August of 2020 when this movie is finally released, is a movie that is as close to Josh Boone's vision as possible without most of the tools required for making it.
2: I mean, I just don't understand how they shot this movie without it. I, like, it honestly, under all of those circumstances, 10 out of 10, great movie. Y'all killed it. <laughs> I
1: know. It. <laughs> Can we talk about the vibes?
0: Tessa really wants to. I, you could have really talked about the vibes any time in oh, here. Um, all right. We we were going... so. Oh, okay. Sorry. Hey, Tessa, this isn't going to be a trilogy, though. I'm sorry. It's really not. Well, it was going to be. I'll talk more about that later. Vibes.
1: And it's really kind of sad. I mean, it's sad that we didn't get to see Josh Boone's original because that sounds like a heck of a movie. And the thing is, is that my main thing about this movie, we're going to talk about vibes now, which Melissa, I'm sure, has a lot to say about it. Actually, you know what? Melissa, you talk about the vibes first, and then I'll say what I think about what I want out of this movie. (laughs)
2: um my main thing about the vibes is that i really like i really enjoyed them but i watched this movie during the daytime and that was not the correct time for these vibes because it's very dark i like could not see a lot of what was happening and i was just going off of the vibes you know for what was going on but i really like i like this like it's almost like a trope of like collection of teens in a facility and like things are going weird. I love like dark puberty. And so that vibe, I wish they just, I I wish that there was no other villain in this movie, but her, and it's just her facing herself because that is a vibe that I am so, so into. And like, if they could actually make, like cuz i i know that this is a a horror movie but if they could actually like make me scared of the internal like thoughts and feelings of this teen girl that i would be the most obsessed with that
1: yeah that's kind of how i felt too actually because the vibes of this i everything you said and everything that this movie is and everything that it was pitched as is just like what i want out of a movie like it's a it's a horror movie in a comic book universe, which uh, frankly, I think we should do more of these genre, like subgenre films within f- big franchises like X-Men or the MCU or Star Wars even. Like, could you imagine a horror Star Wars film? Like, that would be amazing. But like, so I want that. And I like the darkness of it. The New Mutants as a comic book franchise or as a comic book line was started in, in 1982. And it was because the X-Men at that point had already been going on for over two decades. And they wanted to, like, draw in, like, the younger readership with, like, a new, hip teenager, like, type of thing. But it was also a lot darker than the original X-Men, right? Because the the Mm X-Men, although they do have some characters that have been through some, like, really traumatic and tragic past, it's not as dark as this, right? Their powers aren't actually just killing people accidentally in this way. And so I love that. I love the characters that we're going to talk about a little bit. I just want more of everything in this movie. Like, this movie needed to be scarier. It needed to be, like, a half hour longer. I want to, like, luxuriate in these characters and in what is happening. I want all of the Breakfast Club vibes of them, like, getting like becoming friends and getting together. We don't get enough of that for it to really ring true at the end of the film like suddenly they're all friends even though they like were kind of hating on each other at the beginning and they're all very disparate personalities like I wanted more of that there's like a line where I think it's Rain who says like we all got each other out of our cages and I'm like when, when did that happen? (laughs) Like, like (laughs) I would, I would really like to know what that means. No, I mean like even metaphorically, when did that happen? And like, I would Mm -hmm. love to have seen like that version of it. I would have loved to see more practical effects instead of the kind of okay-ish, not that great VFX effects. Like I, I wanted this movie to be weirder. I wanted it to be darker and I just wanted kind of more of everything
2: Could you imagine if we got this movie at like level 12, like weird scary vibes, and there was a boy who caught on fire and a girl who is sometimes made of fire, and they were allowed to kiss each other, and we were watching like the weirdest movie on earth?
0: I'd like to think in that movie, because this has clearly got big breakfast club vibes, somebody's got to do the bender, you know, freeze frame fist in the air, it'd be (laughs) Lockheed.
1: It would be Lockheed. Hell yeah. yeah, Lockheed. I love Lockheed. Are we going to talk about him? Go
0: ahead. I Wait, love. Well, you want to talk more about vibes? You want to talk about? Yeah,
1: let, let's talk about vibes some more. Just, just for a little bit, just vibes. for a thing. I also don't get the character of Reyes. Did anyone else get her as a character? Like, she's supposed to be like a sinister stooge, but she almost seems like she cares about the like. Her motivations are not clear for what she's doing. Yeah,
2: and she seems like when it comes down to the final like procedure where she's being like very like directly vague about how she's about to kill Danny, she almost seems like kind of conflicted about it. And it's just like, I don't understand anything about you, lady, because
0: I have this image of Nurse Ratchet watching this movie going, That is cold. <laughs> Cause that's the thing with her character, right? She is Somehow sadistic and believes that what she does is necessary and good mm-hmm. at the same time I, I I guess that's one way to read cuckoo's Nest, but this person i don't know why she does what she does at all i have I have no clue why she gets up in the morning, why she chose to be in an empty asylum hospital with these youths who could all murder her so easily they do it?
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and she's a mutant. We could actually explore that and like how she as a mutant came to be like con- like came to consider other mutants dangerous in this way that she clearly does. I don't know. I just don't I mean, I think Alice Braga does a competent job with what she's given. I just don't necessarily understand the motivations of this character which seem to change as the scenes need them to change
0: i mean why not we got five main new mutants here let me let's review we have danny moonstar played by newcomer blue hunt we have rain sinclair played by Arya stark herself Maisie williams we have iliana rasputin played by anya taylor joy and her best dragon stuffed animal we have Sam Guthrie played by Charlie Heaton in his best Kentucky accent. And we have Roberto Da Costa playing, or sorry, and we have Roberto Costa played by Henry Zaga and his collection of popped collars. Are they good? Are they not? Who do we want to talk about?
1: I loved Anya Taylor Joy and Blue Hunt in this. And I'll throw Wazy Williams in there too. I think she did a good job too. All the girls.
2: Yeah, I think that everybody did a pretty decent job. Um especially because there's so many characters and we've already talked about how this whole movie is kind of messy. So, the fact that like I actually do feel like I have a good understanding of who all these people are and what they've been through like I think is a benefit to the movie and also to the performances, maybe mostly to the performances.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, especially cuz this is Blue Hunt's first movie and mm-hmm. she is she is indigenous so they finally cast an indigenous actor for an indigenous character which i appreciate especially cuz they really messed that up in Wolverine Origins but i also love how queer this movie is like uh i love queer movies and <laughs> i was i was i was really not expecting a major franchise film even though obviously we've talked about the problems that surrounded the production of this film I was not expecting them to actually commit to a queer storyline and they commit to mm-hmm. the relationship between a Danielle Moonstar and Rain Sinclair in a way that's just like adorable. It's young adult; It feels like a young adult romance in the middle of this like horror film. Like again, I just wanted more of it. Like I was like, yeah, I, I like these characters. I believe that they are attracted to each other. I believe in their chemistry and like, it was just so focused on like the queerness at the center of it that I just, I really, really appreciated that. Especially because like who doesn't want to be a pair of teenage lesbians making out in a cemetery under <laughs> the stars? I mean, that's a vibe. That is a vibe.
2: Getting to tell your crush, like, oh, you didn't make me up. I'm real and just as perfect as you thought I would be. Like, It's just the
1: best. (laughs) It's so great. I love it. Oh, what did you think of Anya Taylor-Joy's performance? She's obviously like the person. Ileana Rasputin is a huge character in the comics. She is Colossus's sister. She's obviously like the the character that I think most people have like gifts of or have Mm -hmm. like shared pictures of online because she's so iconic in a lot of ways. What did you think of her performance? I
2: think that Anya Taylor Joy is just endlessly watchable. Like I would literally watch anything for her. Actually, I recently watched The Vampire Academy because I saw that she was in the cast list, and then turns out she's in a deleted scene.
1: Oh no! That's just so. False I've seen that movie,
2: and I haven't seen her in that movie because I didn't get the DVD.
0: <laughs> Can you test it just for a second? Can you imagine? If that Gambit movie had been made, there could have been a crossover: the Queen's Gambit and the Professor's Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'll I'll go now.
1: I just love Lockheed. Lockheed is a great character, and I was really when I first watched this movie the first time. I was like, "Oh man, they made Lockheed a puppet," and then they like actually had him be like the dragon, and he was so cute and with his little like fireballs and. And the way she would, like, talk to him and he would chirp back to her like he was answering her. Oh, my God, I love him.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I was so excited when he became a real
1: dragon. Are her powers the most interesting outside of Danny's?
2: I think so. Like, when she just turns her arm into metal and then grows a sword. Sick. Vibes.
1: The way she teleports by going in and out of this dimension that she calls Limbo, which in this movie, she says that she made up like it was a special place to escape from trauma Mm -hmm. from her childhood. I just I love that. It's the weirdest power in this movie. And I think they do their right. Despite all the problems in this movie and me saying there needs to be more of a lot of things, they actually strike the right balance of not explaining it too much. Mm -hmm. Like they just sort of let you revel in the imagery of it, which I think is great. I just saw
2: a movie. I don't even know if this is going to come to a legitimate point but anyway. I just saw a movie that takes place in an institution like this and there's a character that is is a patient but they seem to have like extra privileges in the facility and then you kind of find out why that that is later in the film. And I kind of thought watching this, oh, are we gonna find out that she is like actually working for whoever's running this? Is she like a patient? But like special, or something like that. And it never really gets to that level. And I think that you get that vibe off of her, maybe just because like she is the one that is most grounded in reality. Even though she's the one that has the most crazy stuff happening to her, she's the one that's like, no, this just is what it is. Like, we're not getting better. I'm not participating in these activities. Like, I'm not trying to follow the rules because I already know that things are bad and they're not getting better. Another thing about her character is that. What are those little monster people chasing her? The the
1: faceless men?
2: Yeah, I think it's weird that that's never really resolved. Like that just is a thing for her is that she's being chased by faceless men and also has a secret dimension to hang out in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I think we're supposed to draw the conclusion that she was subject to abuse as a child Mm -hmm. probably sexual in nature and so Mm -hmm. this is sort of how she envisioned them as children as when she was a child she envisioned them as like these faceless monsters and
2: since she remembers them that way that's how they like come out of the demon barrier so that all makes sense
1: they could have spent they didn't necessarily have to explain all of it but you're right the way that they like maybe shot that or like implied it could have been a little bit better done
2: Well, they make everybody else's. She is the only one who seems to be like magically haunted. That's not true. All of them are being haunted in this movie. She's the only one who seems like her haunting is like a a level up in terms of supernatural happenings. Like when the priest comes back for rain, that's obviously a supernatural haunting. But it's not another. There's not another level of like. Magic or you know spooky happenings,
1: <laughs> her monsters are supposed to be much more intense, and that might possibly be because Danny's powers are like burgeoning, but could you imagine if all of their hauntings were like that level of scary <laughs> like because i mean i I don't want to say that like what I mean what happens to rain is horrifying, but like mm-hmm. what happens to the boys is really not like it's trauma, but it's like. Oh, yeah, you burned a girl to death. Here's, like, a girl who's on fire. And, like, you killed, like, all these people in the mine. Here's, like, a flashback to that. Like, it just doesn't... It's not on the same level, like you said. And I kind of wish that they were. Like, I kind of wish this movie was more horrifying.
2: That burnt girl comes after him only one time.
1: Yeah. Just the once.
2: And it's in a pool, so he could just go under the water. It's over.
1: Yeah, so we could see his power. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about Maisie Williams in this film as Rain? I really
2: liked her. I wish we got to see her do more wolfy things.
1: Besides just saying, I have a good, sp- I have a good smeller, which is a terrible line. It's such a bad line. It's like her eyes turn
2: at one point, And so you're like, oh, she is a wolf. They really don't do a lot to connect that. And then except one of the characters like calls her doggy and it's like, oh, is that literal? The doctor lady also like mentions a bunch of times how her mom was a vet. And I'm like, are you saying that these children are animals? And is that because you are a bad caretaker of children or is that because you are alluding to the fact that these two girls actually are either metaphorically or literally turning into animals like what is with the vet thing
1: i did not make that connection but that is a really excellent point like (laughs) because she does mention it a lot that's not a nice thing to say to children who are
2: in your care who apparently (laughs) you're not going to tell them that they're turning into a demon bear
1: yeah 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 I think the least, my least favorite part of this are the weakest links. They're not terrible. They're just kind of the weakest links are Charlie Heaton's Sam Guthrie and Henry Zaga's Roberto da Costa. And mm-hmm. again, it's not because I think they do a bad job. It's just these female characters suck up so much of the oxygen from this movie. Mm-hmm. I think because they're all doing such a great job that these two dudes just kind of seem very like two dimensional by comparison. Like, Sorry if you're, like, a big Sunspot or Cannonball fan, whoever's listening to this. But, like, this just not... I don't know. What did you think about their performances?
2: I mean, I didn't think that their performances were bad, but they're both just, like, very generic. Like, oh, here is, like, a nice Southern boy who was traumatized by working in the mines, which I'm not saying that that's not, like, really big trauma. It is, but it's also... Like kind of a cliche in stories like this sometimes when the that's all that there is about that character. And then obviously, like douchebag boy actually can't touch girls. Like, I'm
1: actually kind of more interested in that story than what they're giving me here. Yeah, and there's one moment where I thought they were gonna go into like more of a class commentary when they're like sitting in the laundry and Roberto da Costa is just like, oh yeah, I like throw my shirts away when they get dirty or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like Sam is talking about how he had to work in the mines like he fight mm-hmm. like financially his family re- relied on that and not they don't do anything with that mm-hmm. like these are two characters who come from completely different socioeconomic backgrounds but they don't they don't tease that out in any kind of meaningful way and I'm thinking
2: also the they don't do anything with the the class issues between those two characters. But there's also a lot of, like, racist comments towards Danny for no reason when, like, that's not what your movie's dealing with. And it's just, like, I don't know why that's there.
1: Overall, though, I do – I'm on record as saying this before when we talked about The Wolverine and when we talked about Logan. I like movies that don't have Skybeam cosmic level stakes. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I like movies that are very personal. And this movie, again, with all of its flaws, I like that it focuses on these five characters and that it says, like, these five characters, their fates are interesting enough to hold our attention for a movie. Like, they've all experienced trauma. They're all working through it. They're trying to save themselves. And that's enough to drive a movie. I liked that they made that choice.
2: Yeah, me too. I almost wish that it was not lower stakes, but I almost wish the movie was more like personally specific stakes. Like if Danny realized if we had watched Danny struggle with this demon bear the whole time and then lose control, that would have been so much more emotionally engaging than... For Danny to not understand what's happening, for us to barely understand what's happening by the time we're at the climax of this movie, ha! <laughs> get it barely? <laughs>
0: <Hey>. <laughs> I have some astonishing facts for you both. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. The last time I get to do this segment, this movie has been described by people involved with its making as Stephen King meets John Hughes. This movie has also been described by people involved in the making of this movie as one flew over the cuckoo's nest meets the breakfast club. And I really just feel like if you guys were this on message and in agreement, why did you make this movie the way you made it? (laughs) Josh Boone cites all four of, well, Josh Boone does cite King, Hughes, Cuckoo's Nest, breakfast club specifically, as influences. He also cites the film version of The Shining, the Kubrick movie, as well as Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. So that's, that's what he had coming in. Again, wouldn't it have been cool if he had made that movie? There are two Buffy episodes seen on the, te- on the TV. There are two. It's not the same one. And they are not next to each other in continuity. First, we see the Tara and Willow kiss, which is the first time on the show that you see them on camera, middle of the frame, kissing. That is from the episode The Body, which many people say is the best episode of Buffy. And if they don't say that, it's one of the best. Of course, we also get the big bads from the episode Hush, which is... Some people say it's the best episode of Buffy, and if they don't, they say it's one of the best. A time-honored tradition of shortcutting is by allusions. You can allude to something, <laughs> and that's different, I think, than a lot of the things that they do in this movie that we don't get. It's, it's a really neat allusion if you get it. If you don't, I don't know that it really takes away from anything. This was, finally, meant to be a trilogy. The first movie was going to be he describes it as like rubber reality, where it's like you know real it's reality, but bendy you know and and these these monsters and things can show up as part of reality. It's a neat description. New Mutants Two was supposed to introduce Warlock and be an alien invasion horror film okay, yeah, New Mutants Three was going to be apocalyptic horror, horror trilogy. It's like American Horror Story X-Men, basically.
2: I was going to say Fear Street 1, 2, and 3 X-Men. That was okay. That's yeah, a little different because that's like a cycling
1: story. But anyway.
0: Yours is better.
1: I was going to ask you before we move on, though, Melissa, I know for a lot of the movies that you watch, you have like an image, like your favorite image of the movie. Did you have a favorite image of this film? Oh, yeah.
2: It's Anya Taylor-Joy, I Am Magic, or So Am I.
1: Where she's, like, turned back in front
2: of- Yes, and, like, her eyes are blue. Her sword is out.
1: She is just unbothered. (laughs) (laughs) I also really love the scene where she and Lockheed are running after the demon bear, yelling, get back here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, get back here,
2: demon bear.
0: All right, so we did Astonishing Facts. Let's move on to the uncanny stats. If you'll recall, the budget for Dark Phoenix, the movie made after- The New Mutants, but came out before The New Mutants, was budgeted at $200 million. This one was budgeted at $67 million or $80 million, depending on who you ask. That's always a good sign when people can't agree on how much money was spent on a movie. (laughs) Opening weekend. You may recall, we mentioned this yesterday, for a movie that was budgeted at $200 million, it made less than $33 million opening weekend. That was the bomb that was Dark Phoenix. Now, New Mutants had a little something going against it. It opened during a pandemic when about 60% of theaters were opened. So it, of course, has the lowest by far opening amount of any movie in this box, X-Men franchise, at $7 million. But when you think about it, Dark Phoenix made $32.8 million and New Mutants, with everything that was going against it, made seven. That's uh, that's not a big enough separation to feel good about Dark Phoenix as a movie.
1: <laughs> Dark Phoenix was released before the pandemic, too. It didn't have any excuse.
0: Total box office, Dark Phoenix, eventually did recoup its investment. Uh, it made 252 box office, so it got a little profit, tiny smidge. New Mutants is the first and only movie in this franchise to not make its budget back. It only had 49.1 million in box office. Of course, Fox doesn't care because it doesn't exist anymore. So there's nobody to be sad. There is a bright spot here. As we talked about yesterday, Dark Phoenix was the only X-Men movie to not open at number one, as you recall? It was beat out by the secret life of pets too
2: shout out pets
0: that's right but you know it's what not
2: what people needed during the pandemic
0: yeah magic and her pet dragon did manage to capture the top of the box office the week new mutants came out so new mutants did do one thing that dark phoenix didn't number so so this was a weird box office time and I don't know if you remember this so new mutants was number one. Unhinged was number two. Tenet, still going not strong at number three. Bill and Ted face the music at number four. By the way, Bill and Ted did do better business on VOD this weekend than New Mutants did. By the way, if we did VOD numbers, Bill and Ted wins. My guys. And then finally, the once in future James Bond question mark. In the personal history of David Copperfield. That was him, right? Yeah. Wasn't that Dev? Because he's doing doing literature now. He's doing the greatest hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And for the final, all new, all different segment in which Tessa recommends stuff X-Men related to read, watch, or just those two things.
1: I'm going to go real simple on this one and say that if this appeals to you, you should read the first 18 issues of The New Mutants. Again, that started in 1982, but it does pretty much encapsulate a lot of the elements of the storyline. It starts out these characters or most of these characters, plus a couple other ones that didn't make it into this movie. Because it's serialized, it gets to explore them in a lot more detail. And we get the demon bear as like potentially one of the scariest antagonists. I showed Sam a picture (laughs) of the demon bear from the actual comics, and it is way scarier looking in the comics than it is in the film. So, if you're if you're looking for some horror to be ratcheted up there but still within like a comic book framework, first 18 issues of the New Mutants, you might not stop reading.
0: And finally, before I read us out, Tessa, we ranked all 12 at that point movies in the franchise. This is of course lucky number 13. Where does it rank?
1: I'm actually going to rank the New Mutants. This is going to be a very controversial one. I can already hear listeners or see listeners like tweeting at me on Twitter about this. I think that The New Mutants is number five. I think it beats out X-Men Days of Future Past, even though X-Men Days of Future Past has one of the best action sequences in the entire franchise. I think it's just because The New Mutants as a film is a vibe that I really enjoy I really am a lot more invested in a lot of the characters than I am in most of the characters of Days of Future Past. I wish it was a better movie. Like, that's the thing. (laughs) Whenever I watch this movie, I'm like, I think about the movie that could have been.
0: I would ask you the same question, Melissa, but instead, since you weren't here last time, what's the best Fast and Furious movie?
2: I am very, very partial to number one because I like all of the ships and I am including Dom and Brian. And I like number five because it's the first one that feels like they're like really reaching for the stars doing a franchise thing.
1: And number five is when Brian finally decides to not be a cop anymore. Hell yeah! (laughs) It gets like way more fun after he decides to just go like full criminal.
2: One hundred percent. It's like unbelievable that they got Brian away from being a cop and somehow landed this, steered this franchise, if you will, right back into helping the cops. Like, can you guys please?
0: Could you not
2: divorce yourself from the concept of policing?
0: (laughs) So it was funny. So the first movie that we saw since February of 2020, the first movie that we saw in the theater was um, Black Widow. Tessa comes out. This was great. I thought it was really, and I was like, eh, eh. And then we went to go see F9 after that. And I came out going, oh, it's a great, oh, this was so great. I had so much fun. And Tessa was like, eh. And then we got our groove back. We went to go see Shang-Chi and we both were like, yay. And then we went to go see No Time to Die and we were like, boo. (laughs) But we had this weird, like, We both liked both movies, to be very clear, but it was really funny that we had those different reactions to it. So,
2: I was flipping out like a kid in a candy store in the theater during both of those movies. So I was just, well, I'm not making, I'm not saying neither of those movies are great because they are both great and I love them both very much, but I was just so ready to be delighted by movies in the theater at that point that... I stand by the fact that Black Widow is a great movie and I stand by the fact that F9 is a great movie, but there's a chance that one of those movies could have been not good and I would have been out here like five stars. (laughs) Amazing movie.
0: (laughs) I realized retrospectively that maybe one of the reasons I didn't like Black Widow as much is our local theater, because we are kind of in a small area, Mm -hmm. uh, they are really terrible at calibrating their speakers. Or paying oh. attention when a speaker has, oh, I don't know, blown out.
2: Yeah, we don't love that.
0: Somebody showed up the day of F9, though, because it was like all loud. all Everything was firing 100%. I, I think that might be, that can cover a lot of sins. Tessa, we did it. We did 13 days of X-Men. What have we learned?
1: 13 movies is way too much to do for a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean I think that for me I love X-Men. I've been very clear about that from the beginning. There've been some really high highs in this franchise and some really low lows. This franchise is much more uneven than Fast and Furious, which overall is a very high quality <laughs> franchise regardless of some of the perhaps A-cab issues in in that in that franchise. You know, it was a weird time. People forget that a lot of these movies were made when we were still trying to figure out what superhero movies were supposed to look like. Obviously, there's a lot of flaws in them. There's a lot of hubris, right, involved in this particular franchise. We have a lot of terrible people involved in it, including Bryan Singer and Brett Ratner, which we've talked about. You know, Simon Kimberg, who is maybe not a terrible person, but is the equivalent of Failing Upward. You know, but we still enjoyed, I still enjoyed a lot of these movies, and actually re-watching them, I enjoyed some of them more than I did the first time that I saw them. So, you know, I, I would say that a good third of them are terrible, but a good two-thirds of them are actually pretty enjoyable, which is more than I thought.
0: We laughed, we cried, we bamfed. <laughs> that brings us to the final piece of business. As you'll recall, the first year we did nine days of Fast and Furious. We watched nine movies, nine days in a row. Man, that was a lot. So we figured we'd up the stakes and do 13 movies, but mm. we've been doing them week by week over the past few months. As Tessa said, 13's too many, and we want to go back to day by day. So I'm here to tell you, next year's event will be our, our third annual limited series will be one of the most consistently good franchises ever. Every movie is quality. They're all great. I know what you're thinking. That's right. We're doing Star Wars. (laughs) That's right. All of the movies in the franchise are good, except for nine, one, two, and most of three. But everything else is great. (laughs) Great. No notes. Uh, So we're going to do 10 episodes because we cannot finish on another day. We cannot finish on a downer. We just can't do it. I cannot end on Rise of Skywalker. I have never seen the movie again since opening night. This will be next year. Are you going to save it until
2: next year? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be
0: three years because we've done a Star Wars. I've done a Star Wars marathon each. I did it when 7 came out, you know, when 8 came out, when 9 came out, and i said it's going to be a while before i do another star wars marathon, but we're going to do one next year. We're going to see. We're going to see how it's aged. But i'm really going to enjoy talking about them. I everybody who who knows my taste in movies, they're not, you know, i like a lot of things, but as a child i had 3 favorite movies. Two of them were time travel movies, and the third one was the original Star Wars. So (laughs) it'll be great talking about a childhood all-time favorite and one of the worst atrocities ever to show up on film. (laughs) And then in episode 10, we'll clear our palettes with a little Rogue One solo double feature. So that's where we're headed to next. Tessa, are you excited?
1: I'm always excited. I love pop culture projects. I mean, like, I'm excited to take a year off like I was last year, but but I, I like this. This is a good tradition.
0: That's it. So let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com and visit our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Melissa, where can people find you online or perhaps listen to you also online?
2: Yeah, you can find me tweeting things online at Mellow Yellow. Um, I log all my movies on Letterboxd, also in Mellow Yellow. Or you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast and the Still
1: Great Bob A. Madman rewatch podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. I host that with friend of the pod, Nigel, who was on this series for the movie Logan. It is a Discworld Book Club podcast where we're reading all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels.
0: It's not a monkey off my backlog podcast until Tessa spells her last name. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. Our theme song, which we will miss until this time next year, is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays and get that monkey off your back, bub.